This is, what is this, September 18th, 2022. And uh, as advertised, I'm going to be talking about uh, Zen teaching and succession. Uh, I'm going to try to cover a lot today. some of it quite sensitive, and uh, so I, uh, without uh, sheepishness, I've uh, written out more of this than I ever have before, <clears throat> more notes than ever before. You know, uh, um, I heard Teisho uh, defined once as, or the, the literal translation is, uh, to bring the shout. Uh, well, what you just heard may have been my last shout of this of this uh, Teisho because it just has to be, I feel compelled to make it more explanatory than than uh, most Teishos uh, given the circumstances uh, this this pivot point we're at. I've heard uh, quite a few uh, responses to the news. Um, one of them I think captures my own, could have been said by me, <clears throat> this is from a very senior out-of-town member who began by saying, this news prompts in me more thoughts and feelings than I can articulate just now. Uh, Just to review the news, the the letter that went out, uh, just the bare bones of it, uh, that I will uh, be sanctioning Donna Cole as a teacher, uh, a month from today, October no October sixteenth, <clears throat> and uh, and she will then when I leave as planned, as scheduled when I leave in late October, she will take my place as uh, John Sensei's co spiritual co director, and uh, and will follow the same alternating six month deal that we already started uh, with. Uh, him being in charge as the presiding teacher uh, in the winter, uh, November through uh, April, and then her taking my place as the presiding teacher uh, these, over the, the other six months. Um, I'm not retiring. I, I'm, I'm not just shying away from the word, um, but I'm. I let me explain. I'm delighted that Donna and Sensei both want me to continue offering online doksan to my students while I'm away. Uh, and uh, let me add that my, my, the, even my own personal students, those who have gone through a new student ceremony with me, may also choose to take doksan with Donna or Sensei uh, as they have been permitted to do with my other disciple teacher disciples, um, Amala Sensei, Robert Sensei, Hirado Sensei, and uh, the two Swedes, Kanya and Sante. <clears throat> um, I, however, I won't be giving online doksan to people who aren't already my students. And I won't be giving any more workshops. Um, 
unless I'm called to an emergency. Um, this this upcoming one, even though it's still technically in my on period, uh, I asked uh, John Sensei to do it in my place. It's it's the day before Donna's sanction. I asked Don, uh, John Sensei to do it in my place because, after all, uh, the people who will be attending the workshop um, will need to be introduced to him as uh, one of their possible teachers. So he's going to do that that one. And as far as uh, non-retirement, uh, as I said in the letter, at Donna's invitation, I'll be leading one of the seven-day sessions next summer. I think I said in the letter it would be the June session, but uh, uh, we talked yesterday and uh, we both agreed that uh, July uh, would be better for both of us. So she'll do the June seven-day, I'll do the July, and then and it's her after that. And uh, Donna and John Sensei are agreeable to including me among possible Sashin guest teachers, uh, which which I started with my own uh, teacher disciples, Amala, Herardo, Robert, and so so forth. So you're not getting rid of me yet. <laughs> so now let me. Uh, repeat, I think more of what I, I feel I have to repeat what was said in the letter is the principal reason for this change that is for me, for this to be my last year living in Rochester, the principal reason is to make room for new blood. It's not because my wife is dragging me down to Florida. This came first. This has been, been uh, a couple years in the making, two or three years. Uh, maybe it got all shaken up when, uh, with the pandemic, which has shaken up so much of everything. A Zen center, like any one of us as individuals, can get set in its ways. Um, it can get sclerotic. It can get, get set in ways we don't even know it's set in. Just as we, as individuals, can. That's in a way you can say that's that's the the ever present challenge for each one of us as individuals is coming to see what's unconscious in us, coming to understand this nature that may be um, largely hidden from us. So it was then that over the past few years I've felt a growing sense of responsibility to step aside and other, allow other voices to be heard to have the table reset just as John Sensei brought new things to the table as a teacher last year so will Donna starting with just the fact that she's a different generation than uh, Sensei and me. Uh, and there's nice things about it. I remember when I took over the center at age 38, I can hardly believe that, uh, for all of I, what I felt were my disabilities, uh, at least I had, I could change things. I could um, bring fresh blood to the thing, to the, to the center, for better or for worse. 
So this isn't an impulsive decision. I've taken the time to consult with John Sensei and Chris, who all along have supported it and who endorsed my choice of Donna to replace me. I felt we've all felt compelled, the three of us, to keep this under wraps. Uh, this was um, uh, I, I I ambushed Donna uh, two or three months ago and asked her if she would be willing to do this. But uh, it's the kind of thing that just can get out of control, out of hand if it starts leaking out. I wanted to be able to announce it uh, on my own terms. Uh, first in a letter last night, now on the Tay Show. Part of the inspiration of me wanting to uh, do this uh, is the memory of a Japanese Roshi I met while I was there in Japan. I just, I just had an hour with him, no more. Um, his name is Kobori Roshi, said Rinzai Roshi there. He had been the head of uh, Dai Tokuji, Daitokuji is one of these these legendary uh, Rinzai training dojos go back to hundreds of years in Kyoto. I was enormously impressed with him. Such such simplicity and transparency and naturalness. Didn't get a whiff of charisma or anything like that. He was just and yet so impressive. And uh, we were just talking about different things at the time. And <clears throat> uh, he, when he was asked to be the abbot of Daitokuji, which has a huge place, it, it's, it has all these sub-temples as, as well as the, the main monastery, he said, I'll do it for two years. Two years and out. I didn't... I don't know. I didn't ask Kabora Roshi why he wanted to limit it to two years. I would just speculate that the demands of managing such a huge temple complex um, would be the big thing. And I think he may have mentioned how little time it would leave him for his own Zazen. But, but uh, well, again, speculation, maybe... Um, the the internal politics of such a big monastery, the all uh, the hair pulling among the monks, pun intended, uh, because because monks just like residential staff uh, are human beings, and we are not finished products. We have to uh, we're still working things out. But at least Kabori Roshi didn't have to deal with American-style hyper-individualism, uh, the cult of the self, with the glorification of opinions and preferences. This is, uh, these are big headwinds that we face in American Zen. Anyway, a year ago I felt that it would be premature to bow out entirely, so I hornswoggled John Sensei uh, to partner with me. Um, this splitting of the teaching uh, 
on the basis of six-month alternating periods would would be an experiment for the center after some 55 years of having just one teacher in charge year-round. But we knew that there were other teaching models out there that worked. I remember being shocked uh, 35 years ago when we when we hosted the first uh, annual AZTA meeting, the first meeting of, uh, of the uh, American Zen Teachers Association, to hear that at San Francisco, at the San Francisco Zen Center, they had co-abbots. They smirked when they said, yeah, we call it co-abitation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know from my wife and her retreats at the Vipassana, the big Vipassana Center on the East Coast, IMS, Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, that there's no full-time teacher in residence there at all. They just have various teachers coming through, leading retreats. doesn't mean that it's a simple equivalency to Zen. Um, but maybe the, the very common Japanese model of just one fully authorized teacher and that's a model that I continued from Roshi Kaplow, um, could be outmoded or could be not suitable, <laughs> suitable for our culture. We just, uh, it's, it's, we don't know. We're, we're always in this, this stupendous project of transplanting an Asian tradition to the West. Uh, a lot of it is groping in the dark and just doing the best we can to to be mindful, to be aware, see what's working, what isn't. This is a this is a good time to do this too, because uh, uh, of the, the other changes happening now here at the center with the Sangha, Sangha programs, uh, committee project, all the things that are proliferating in that in that area. I don't want to give the impression that I'm I'm going to be leaving, this is my last year living here, uh, as simply a way to effect change that may be called for. But I would see my leaving as also the the result of some of these other changes we see, for example, in the Sangha Programs Committee, um, a committee that Donna herself has, has had a big hand in, as well as Barry, of course, and Danae and others, it's a time of change, and there's nothing to recoil from with change. So that's the main thing, is uh, to to see what might develop by having someone, some of a, a new pair uh, of of people in charge of teaching here and sharing as co-directors. But the secondary reason, and this I cannot leave this out, is uh, a matter of age and my stage of life. Uh, step one was my considering this uh, over the course of the pandemic, thinking about this as a positive change. Step two was my wife, Angela, uh, announcing that she wanted to move into retirement and that she wanted to move to Florida. 
I never saw myself living in Florida. But she grew up in uh, near the coast, uh, the New Hampshire coast. Her family would go there and uh, rent a place for the summers, and she got the ocean into her bones, and uh, she always has wanted to live uh, near the, the sea. And she has largely supported me for 30 years. I know I already said this, but I just have to repeat it. For now 31 years, she's paid 90% of our household expenses. And, and, and willingly, more than willingly, happily, she has a tremendous respect for, for the center and for what I do. And she saw it as a, as a, as a kind of Donna to the center to cover that so the center wouldn't have to raise my salary much. So it was a time for me to join her in what we both saw as the final chapter in our lives together. And last winter, as those of you who read my article in the current Zenbo uh, got, it, got a sense of how that's, how that's been going. It's been going very well. Um, but here's my question to... Uh, who would think that this year's arrangement with my spending six months here while she's alone in Florida, who would think that that's, that could go on? It's just not sustainable. It's been okay. To, we've been both surprised at how manageable it's been. We talked three or four times a day on the phone. But, but as far as non-sustainable, even if we won the lottery and could afford to live in two places alternating through the year, it's not a way to live. I heard from someone else in the Sangha who tried that for a while, and uh, he said, when you live in two places, you live in neither place. And so now I'm convinced that it's time for Donna to take my place in partnering with John Sensei. Now here's the irony to all this. This year, this year, I've felt even more zest for teaching than ever. You know that, uh, that saying, find a job you love and you won't have to work another day of your life? I've always felt that's true for me, but never more so than this year. I have felt lighter. The job has felt lighter and more enjoyable than ever. And I've reflected on that. Uh, why? Well, no doubt being away for six and a half months uh, left me feeling restored this spring, feeling renewed, not to mention missing the local sangha. But also, okay, maybe knowing that this was my last full year in Rochester, uh, that there, would, there was uh, an exit point. That probably, again, more speculation. But also just the, the simplicity of living here as a monk again, as I did for 15 years when I was younger, the, the, the quiet joy of that simplicity fully embedded in the temple, the complex, in the heart of the Sangha. And plus 
functioning, I feel, at the peak of my abilities, my teaching abilities, such as they are. And that comes from, of course, long experience. I'm going to take up uh, a case in the Mumonkan now. Kicking over the water bottle, this is number 40 in the Mumonkan. Uh, I won't go into this in the usual depth that I usually do when commenting on a koan, but here, just the case mainly. So here's the case. When Isan was with Hyakujo, he worked as the Tenzo, that's the head cook, at the monastery. So Isan is the head cook. Hyakujo wanted to choose an abbot for a new monastery, Dai Yi Monastery, so he called together all the monks and told them that the one who could answer his question in an outstanding manner would be sent. Then he took a water bottle, stood it on the floor, and said, Don't call this a water bottle, but tell me what it is. The head monk said, It can't be called a wooden sandal. Uh, Andy Ferguson translated that it can't be called a wooden stool. Doesn't matter. Hyakujo then asked Isan his opinion. Isan walked up, kicked over the water bottle, and left. Hyakujo laughed and said, A head monk has lost. And Isan was ordered to found the monastery. Let me start by um, speculating what Hyakujo would have been looking for in an abbot. Well, I think much the same as uh, John Sensei or the other senseis or I would uh, look for today and last year when I sanctioned Sensei. Number one, well, number one and number two, I really don't want to put one over the other, but insight and integrity. Insight. Seeing, having seen into one's essential nature, entering the first gate. Kensho. In Isan's day, this is back in the Tang Dynasty, I don't know, 900 or something, uh, there were no koans. Uh, but today, we have the koan system, and it's helpful in discerning when someone has had an insight into one's true nature because it can be quite slight. It was for me. My first insight was slight. And then, then the koans are one way, not the only way. When someone has passed their first koan, I uh, invite them to go on to uh, other koan collections, but I tell them there's no need to. Uh, the great Tang masters didn't have koans to work on. But here's, just for the record, here's the order of things uh, that we use here. First, there are, I don't know, 40 or 50 preliminary koans, very short ones that are sort of the, the, the bones of all the ones that follow. And then, typically, the first collection would be the Mumonkan, called the Gateless Barrier. The second, there are about 50 there. Uh, the second, I want to get tied down in numbers here. Uh, the second one is the Blue Cliff Record. There are about a hundred there. Uh, the Book of Serenity, the uh, 
Shoyoroku, there's about 50 there. And then the transmission of light, the Denkoroku, uh, same thing, about 50 there. Um, and, uh, no, excuse me, Book of Serenity, maybe 100. And, uh, and then after that, there might be some other work that I do with a student. Insight, Kensho. This is not, this is not a prerequisite at a lot of Zen centers or Zen temples, even in Japan. I remember in uh, one of the AZTA meetings I attended, we went around, someone came up with the suggestion that we go around and, uh, and say what, um, what our criteria are for uh, transmission, for, for authorizing teachers. And um, either I or one of my Dharma siblings who were there said, well, first, uh, Kensho. And um, one of the other teachers kind of turned her head like a cocker spaniel and said, hmm, oh, we have a different model than that. I was shocked. But since then, I've come to see that this is, this is by far the majority of Zen centers, is, is that it's more about putting in your time, years and years and years of time, which is a serious, important thing. A lot of insight comes from many years of practice. But there are no, there's nothing, there are no absolutes. Uh, Roshi Kaplow told me that his first teacher briefly in Japan, Nakagawa Roshi, uh, he was just with him for six months before going to Harada Roshi and then Yasutani Roshi, that Nakagawa Roshi confided to him that he had been uh, made Dharma successor without even having gotten through his first call, without having had Kensho and that he had been so ashamed. Shame is, doesn't have the pejorative uh, connotation it does in our culture. It's a big engine of change and motivation. He had been so ashamed, he said, that at the next session he got through his koan. And then I would put equally with, with Kensho, I would put integrity, moral, upright moral conduct, Even uh, Yasutani Roshi, who talks a lot about Kensho, he called this the foundation of practice. Particularly the first five precepts, not killing, not stealing, not engaging in sexual misconduct, not lying, and not abusing alcohol or drugs. Without, without that kind of Upright conduct, uh, it can, it can just ruin a Zen center or temple. It has ruined Zen centers and temples if the teacher gets involved in that stuff. All right. Besides uh, insight and integrity, of course, you want to see compassion. That really is the flip side of of insight. Insight means insight seeing into the the indivisible nature of all existence and when we have 
to the degree that we've seen the oneness the, of, of all beings, we will naturally reach out compassionately to those who need it. Humility. Humility comes from self-awareness. Another big thing you'd want to see in a, in a teacher, recognizing one's own emotional, lingering emotional afflictions, one's habit patterns. These uh, come to be in full display in Zazen, especially in Sashin. But they can also uh, be brought to light in psychotherapy or, or group work like like AA. We're all unfinished. What what is a, a real warning sign for me is when I see ambition in a, in a senior student wanting to be a teacher in an unhealthy way. Plato said, access to power must be confined to those who are not in love with it. I struggled with the whole issue of power when Roshi asked me to take over and, uh, because I think I didn't understand it then. I, I, I was too aware of how power could be misused. But then the big epiphany for me was realizing that power is just the ability to effect change. And that's when I said, all right, I will. The other things I, I would look for that Hyakujo surely would have expected in... Uh, a successor is emotional stability. Long practice experience, of course, this would have been a given in uh, in the monastery, Hyakujo's monastery, many sashins. And as a, as a kind of a bonus, residential training. That would have been also a given there. They were all monks. But uh, it's a real... Let's just say there's a lot to season one when one's gone through years of residential training. Need respect in someone. You need respect of the Sangha, which is not the same as popularity. Some, some people are, are, have, have, have learned through their life how to be popular with others. Um, it's not the same. Respect comes from uh, the Sangha seeing all of these qualities, these foregoing qualities, seeing them embodied in the person. Yakujo himself would have already seen this in Isan. And here's a, here's a little secret. He didn't need this contest to choose. He staged it to reveal the man for the job to the whole Sangha. Ordination... Uh, in many many centers, probably most centers, uh, ordination is required to be sanctioned as a teacher. I don't see that. I've tried to. I respect the consensus, but I don't see it. I think if someone has seen into their true nature and has these other qualities, they can do a lot of help, and they don't need to be ordained. I think it's ideal to be ordained. 
but But there is there is a difference between, and this is something I repeatedly have said in emails, song emails. But uh, there's still I've learned in the last few days there's still confusion. A, a teacher and a priest are two different things. You can be a priest without being a teacher. You can be ordained. In our in our center, ordination means a a commitment to do this as your vocation. So you can be a priest without being a teacher. You can be a teacher without being a priest, without being ordained. And let me just take a little detour detour here and uh, mention how my prerequisites for ordination, for ordaining someone, have changed. For many years, I was able to get away with requiring years of residential training. Because I think it's so helpful, but but uh, when when I was asked to ordain someone who had never been uh, on staffs, when I was asked, I said, "I'm sorry, I'm gotta, I have this direct prerequisite. You can ask uh, Amala Sensei if you want. Maybe she will." And to my surprise, she did. She agreed to start Jeanette Prince Cherry on. Uh, the path toward ordination, and uh, and now that was three or four years ago. Now I I've come to really respect Amala Sensei's uh, judgment on that. Um, I mean, there was never any question in my mind, but that Jeanette would be an outstanding priest. Um, but uh, yeah, prerequisites change, especially in the midst of a pandemic. It seems like everything was tossed up in the air in all aspects of life with the pandemic, and uh, and now uh, now I've agreed to uh, to ordain uh, the Reddings, Danae and Scott uh, next month, even though um, they 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 have a child and uh, they don't live full time here at the center. Um, because I think it's less, I don't think it's, it's, you no longer see it as essential. Again, uh, a great thing to do, but not essential. And then as a bonus, as far as uh, my own sanctioning of Donna, uh, having her of a, of a younger generation, uh, and let's face it, a woman. It's been a long time coming. And also, just as a bonus, not essential, but as a bonus, being articulate, being a skillful communicator. Now, moving right along here, this this case shouldn't last more than three hours. Uh, (laughs) So do stretch if you need to. (laughs) Okay. If it goes that long, you can sue me. Uh, let's look at this head monk. This is fascinating to me. So look at his response. Um, he couldn't have been a lightweight. We can be sure that by virtue of his position, he'd been training a long time. That means years of service to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the three treasures. 
One doesn't get to that position without having a lot of assets. No doubt he would have been a fine teacher himself. Maybe he went on to become a fine teacher. Because someone in that position, head monk, head of the Zendo, has got to have stamina. As it has to have proven stamina, dedication, self-discipline, moral stature, leadership. Not only that, you can, you can be sure that Hyakujo needed him. You don't run a monastery, especially one of 1,500 monks, uh, without great people. You, you know, what is that saying? It takes a village to raise a child. It takes some real talent, other than the teacher, to keep a, a center um, functioning in a good way. Maybe, who knows, maybe Hyakujo wanted uh, one factor in his choosing Isan to start the new monastery was so he could keep the head monk at his side. But now, as far as the head monk's response, you know, he says, well, don't call this a water bottle, but tell me what it is. And he says, it can't be called a wooden sandal. Fill in the blank. Make it what you want. It can't be called a wrench. It can't be called a rock. Now that's a pretty good response. Because it's expressed in the negative. Let me say more. It's you're not he wasn't taking a position. It means it's not limited. Once you take a position, you make an assertion, uh then you're vulnerable. And this is pure Buddhism. Here are some examples. Uh, the simplest is Nagarjuna, great, great ancestor who famously said, not this, not that. That's a, that's a complete statement. In one of the koans, Nansen, the great Nansen is asked, is there any dharma that has never been taught to the people? And he said, it is not mind, it is not Buddha, it is not beings. In another koan, the monks are arguing about the flapping flag and whether it's the flag that moves or the wind that moves. Some idle, idle chatter. And... Uh, the Sixth Patriarch emerges from the woods and says, it is not the wind that moves, it's not the flag that moves. Another call on, what is Buddha? Basso, not mind, not Buddha. Nansen again was asked, same basic question, and he said, mind is not Buddha, wisdom is not the way. So, uh, if ever you have to give talks on Zen anywhere, it really does help to know that you. It, it, the safest ground you're on is you say, put it in, and use negation, it's not this.
affirming faith in mind. When you assert that things are real, you miss their true reality. But to assert that things are void also misses reality. Affirming faith in mind is full of these negative words. To go beyond, to discard, to cut off, to let go. Do not. Another one, get rid of. This reflects the, the really the essence of Zen practice. It's, it's a practice of daily losing, as one master put it. It's emptying. This, this negation is, corrects it, or it balances what for most of us is the other extreme. And so together we call it the middle way. The middle way originally was it, different ways, different axes to understand the middle way. One way is it's uh, it's uh, neither existence nor non-existence. That sounds awfully dry. So we could say it's neither this. Uh, you can't say that the the self is true in any particular way. But you, but neither can you say that no self uh, is is the the com, ca- captures it all. I'm, I'm, I've read many places that the Buddha never said categorically there is no self. He said that the self is such a nature that it is determined uh, relationally. So what other ways of, of understanding the middle ways? Neither suppressing thoughts and feelings nor clinging to them. Effort. Neither straining nor slackness. There was a, there was a story Roshi Kaplow used to tell uh, in his eighties, where um, where about the the monk who came to the Buddha and said um, uh, how, how asked about effort, and the Buddha said, "What were you before you were ordained?" And he said, well, "I was a musician." The Buddha said, "Okay, what kind of instrument did you play?" He said, "I played the lute." The Buddha said, how was it when the strings were too tight? Well, they broke. How was it when the strings were too loose? Well, they made no music at all. How was it when they were neither too tight nor too loose? Well, that's when I could play my best music. Same with uh, teaching, supervising, and surely parenting, or so I've heard, to be neither, try to find the middle way, neither be too permissive, always saying yes to your child, nor too denying, too severe, always saying no. That's the great challenge. One of the great challenges of parenthood is walking that line day in and day out. So the monk's answer was a, a, a good, solid answer. It can't be called a wooden sandal. It's a safe response. But maybe, was it learned? After Hyakujo had announced that Isan was the guy, there may well have been monks who saw Isan as lacking the stature of Hyakujo. 
and they would have been right. Isan was a brand new teacher. Hyakujo was a, by that time was a living legend. I remember in my early years as a teacher how daunting it was to step into the shoes of the famous Philip Kaplow. But I consoled myself that I I was in the, I was in that seat because he himself had chosen me. So there was some confidence I found through that. It's it's like uh, it's like with surgeons. I once read an article about in the New Yorker, uh, surgeons, I think the subtitle was Surgeons Need Practice. That's where you come in. <laughs> no, no one, no one starts as a master surgeon. And Hyakujo knew that with Isan. It's just the nature of things. Now I want to talk about attachment because that's been on my mind a lot this year. It's a double-edged sword. We know any, any Buddhist text will remind us that attachment breeds suffering. And that's why uh, the monks in, the, in Buddhism's, Buddhism's earliest days before the establishment of monasteries, that's why monks were itinerant monks prohibited from spending more than one night in the same place. But our most binding attachments are not to places and things. They're to thoughts, ideas, concepts, ideologies. To use another famous Buddhist word, our attachment to views. Think of that line of firm faith in mind, just let those fond opinions go. These are the attachments that cause the most suffering in politics, religion, and just interpersonal relations generally. To be human is to have attachments of the heart. Losses cause us pain. I myself am feeling some sadness these days. Even though I plan to be back more than a few times, sadness mixed with a lot of other things. And I'd probably be more shaky now if I had not had a year or so to process this turn in my life. My head tells me it's the right time. Not just my head, my hara. But my heart says otherwise. A mature Zen practice enables us to hold conflicting feelings without rejecting any of them. Same in psychology. When we've grown up, when we've reached psychological integration, we can get our arms around contradictory feelings and emotions. We can hold them all. Human beings are complicated. Did Hyakujo have any such feelings when he bid goodbye to Isan? Did Isan? 
regular human. I remember hearing stupid thing during the Vietnam War, these ignoramuses who said that the Vietnamese have no have no feelings uh, because they don't dis and which really means because they don't display them the way we do. They don't have feelings. That Asians don't have feelings. I remember hearing uh, from the, the I think the first member of the Zen Center to go to Japan to train. Uh, this was 45 years ago, and uh, he came back and reported that uh, he had gone to a movie with Tangan Roshi in uh, Bukokuji. Many of us subsequently went there for periods of training to Bukokuji, and and Glenn said he's long gone, but Glenn said. Uh, the the movie he thought was just so outrageously sappy. And so he was surprised to find Tangan Roshi bawling his eyes out next to him. When I was in a in a meeting with the Dalai Lama, just a group of us, twenty or so people, uh, we were airing the problems in Western Buddhism, including all the the uh, misconduct of teachers, but but one uh, English nun, uh, uh, Tibetan nun, uh, gave this long chronology of how the terrible prejudice she had faced as a woman, and he too was left weeping. But the koan just outlines what happened, basically, and we're left to wonder. That's part of the value of them. How do we color in the outlines, the figures? People have different temperaments. Some of us feel things more deeply. Some of us less deeply. And and those of us who feel uh, this change to feel feel it more deeply may not be just because we've worked together longer as a teacher and student it occurred to me that limiting one's teaching career to two years as Kabori Roshi did would leave both the teacher and student with less sadness to go through I've been a seemingly permanent fixture around here. So have other of our elders with long seniority at the center. You know who they are. If we had to take down, you know that big oak tree behind the link? As you enter the Zen Center, you look through the sliding glass doors, that's that magnificent oak tree. If we had to take that down, we'd feel sadness. And then we'd have to move on. C'est la vie. C'est la dharma. Whatever your reactions to this news may be, it offers you a chance to understand yourself better, as it has me, understand myself better. We can, we can use our wonderful tool of Zen practice, questioning, what's behind this response of mind? 
If I'm, if I'm sad, what's behind that sadness? Consider that it's something in your early years, some loss you experienced with your parents or a sibling. If you're angry, consider that underneath the anger is sadness. Anger is commonly a cover for sadness. Or if you're distancing, if you feel uh, oddly indifferent to the whole thing, um, what about that? If you have a fear of abandonment that's been there all along, all grist for the mill of practice and self self-understanding okay now I'm not dying I expect to live at least another 30 years <laughs> for what for what expectations matter <laughs> ask uh, one of our staff members Desiree I was suddenly called back to Germany to be at her father's bedside as he died. Ask her about whether she would rather have him gone a lot from her life or gone, gone. Come on, we've got to put this in perspective. And besides, what's essential is the practice. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the teacher can help, of course. Teachers can help a lot, but but it's the practice. It's, it's, we have the means to weather anything. If we don't cling to thoughts about what we are losing. If an alchemist has taught you to transmute metal into gold, you have all you need. And you have even more than you need if you have access to a new, younger alchemist thank you we'll stop now and recite the four vows <laughs>